Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Welcome to everyone. Uh, I want to start by telling you I don't always go up the steps that slow, but six weeks ago I had total knee replacement, and uh, so we got, we're doing pretty decent coming up the steps. I think I may have to pray or uh, preach for a while until uh, I can actually go down the steps. So that might be a week or two. I'm not sure. I want to say thank you to everyone who prayed for us uh, through that. Uh, I really have done tremendously well with a, a total uh, 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 lack of pain. I, the pain just was never very much, and I just have really been blessed. I was actually thinking last night as I was laying awake and praying over today's message, I thought, you know, it actually went good enough. Maybe I'll start doing other people's knee surgeries at the same time. So I'm not sure about that. I was, I was with a group of uh, chaplains a week ago, and one of the chaplains made a comment. They said, you'll never hear Tim say 10 words without mentioning Debbie. So if Debbie would stand for just a minute, I want to introduce you to my wife. Debbie and I have been married just shy of 48 years. If she don't, if she don't divorce me or murder me by February, we'll have 48 years. And she is a major part of this story that, uh, that I am going to share with you today. And I just, I want you to know who she is as I constantly say Debbie. So thank you. Uh, also, I want to welcome some friends that are, are new to Summit. Thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, many of our friends from our little community that we live in have come to, uh, yeah, have come to hear me speak. Uh, I thought I was going to make a joke. I guess I'm not. Would you, with me, would you turn with, in your Bibles to 1 Samuel? chapter 17, and we will get started with today's message and story. Uh, I'm going to share with you just a little bit of what God has brought me through. I want to start with the story of uh, David and Goliath. If you remember rightly, King Saul and the army had been stopped by a man. Okay, understand they had not been stopped by an army. That's an important thing to understand. They had been stopped by a man, one man. Now, he was quite a man. Let's face it, he was over nine feet tall, and he could carry a spear that probably most of us couldn't even pick up. But he, they had been stopped by a man, okay, and then a boy comes along, they believe he was someplace between 13 and 15, and he looks at that giant, and rather than being like the army of Israel, okay, he looks at that giant with disdain 
And he says, who in the world is this guy? He's nothing compared to my God. And I want to read with you, if you would open it to chapter 17, verse 34. I want to read just a little dissertation, and then we're going to take off. But David, verse 34, but David said to King Saul, he, King Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defiled the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. King Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. I want you to grab one thing out of this story. A 13 or a 15-year-old boy, when he looked at a giant... I want you to notice he did not pull up Scripture. He pulled up a story. When he talked to the king, he said to the king, I've, I've fought a bear. I, I, just, I can never, never get my mind wrapped around that. 13? So if he's 13, that means he did it when he was younger. He had already done it. He said, I've wrestled a lion well, I'll tell you what, on my best day, I'm not wrestling lions. And on my best day, I'm not taking on a bear. Okay? And he said, you know what? Because of these stories, this worthless nine-and-a-half-foot giant is nothing. Okay? I want you to hang on to that, and I want to ask you the question. What giant are you facing in your life today, that if you could get past that one giant, that your life would be great. I want you to think about that. Lord, we ask you that you would add your blessing to your scripture. We give you the praise. Amen. I want to quote, I'm a uh, story collector, and I want to share with you that I, I have a YouTube channel called Healing Together. If you are in need of a story, and we're going to talk about stories today a little bit, if you're in need of a story that will lift you up, this is the place to go. We probably have about a dozen of them right now. We have 75 videos and counting. I haven't edited the last series, which will be another probably eight or ten videos. And uh, they are simply stories of people who have faced giants in their life, and they have learned a lesson about God. Some of the giants have been slain, and they've cut off their heads, and they've walked away, and God has put life back together. Some of the giants have not been slain. Sometimes the person telling the story is a loved one that maybe survived it, but their loved one went on to be with Jesus. We have one that's a pastor friend of mine that pastors in a missionary church in Warsaw, Indiana, 
his wife passed away from cancer, and he, he, he sat in my living room, and he shared that story, and he said, you know something, Tim? He said, if I could have Diana back, but it cost me what I learned about God in my life, he said, I would let Diana stay in heaven, and I would keep what God has revealed to me about himself. How many of us, amen, I, how many of us could say that? I have another one, that a story on there that early on, a, a younger lady, she's probably just 50, she shares with me how they missed a little, just a little bit of cancer when they, when they removed a lump from her breast. That metastasized, went into her back, it ate out two vertebrae, it broke her back, she is in constant pain. They gave her three and a half years to live. When we did the interview, it had been six and a half years. And she said, if I had to give back the knowledge that I have about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to get out from underneath this death sentence, I would not do it because Jesus has showed his love to me over and over and over again. My friends, yeah, I'm telling you, how many of us, are, are we ready for that? I want to tell you a story. I do need a drink. I want to tell you a story. It was a cold and a dark night. Isn't that the great lead-in for a story? I mean, that is just good, isn't it? It was cold. It was probably about 20 degrees. It was late in the winter, and so it was probably 8, 9 o'clock. It seems like it was about 8 o'clock. I was working for the ambulance service. I was a driver, and I had an EMT on my crew and another person, and we got called out to, I don't know, 1,600 blocks someplace up in there of the lakes. I call it the lakes because there's a street series there that's Huron, Superior, Michigan, Erie, so forth. We got called up in there, and uh, the, a person that was there had been French frying French fries. Okay, so I had a French fryer, or fryer, they just call them fryer, right? Fryer with French fries in it and slugging something, and he was quite inebriated. Well, they must have broke a breaker, and so they decided to move the French fryer from the little back porch that they had it on that didn't have any heat, by the way, into the kitchen. And I doubt very much if the guy could have even walked into the kitchen, but he got a hold of the fryer and started to turn. And I don't know if he didn't have it unplugged or what, but it ended up that he dumped it down the front of him. Okay? That is not comfortable. Just in case you didn't understand that, that is very uncomfortable. And he dumped this French fryer down, and... Because of the address and the history that was there, we had a squad car there with us, a guy by the name of Rich Applegate, who I found out today his daughter goes to church here, and she introduced herself. Thank you very much. And Rich and I were friends. Our kids went to school together, and uh, Rich was an off, has been an officer for his lifetime with Niles, and he, uh, he was there with us. And so how you treat that is you cut the, you cut the clothes off if they've got if they've got long pants on, which you did, and cut the clothes off, lay a sheet across there, and pour room temperature water across the burns. Now, room temperature water on burns feels like it's about 
six degrees, but won't quite freeze. And it's horrible, painful. And so as we were treating them, as we were treating him, this guy kept, I was trying to protect, I, I thought it was Chris and Debbie, but uh, I was trying to protect them from his brother who was there, who was also quite inebriated, and the brother kept shoving me out of the way. And he kept trying to push me. And he kept saying over and over, get away from him. Get away from him. You don't know what he's going through. You don't know the pain he's in. Get away from him. And he would shove me and he would shove me. And I would say, Rich, would you get him off my back? And Rich would try to do that. And, and he'd come back and he'd say, you don't know what he's doing. You don't know what he's going through. Well, you know what? That guy was wrong. I did know what he was going through. And let me share, you this, share with you the story of why I knew what he was going through. <clears throat> this story comes 50 years ago this year. May 26, 1972, I was riding my motorcycle into town, and I was a normal 16-year-old Christian young man. I was living for the Lord. I had uh, been uh, my, I dedicated my life to the Lord. Uh, I was a good boy, more or less, and uh, I was a boy, and I was 16, but uh, compared to everybody else, no, not really. Uh, I, I, was, I was just a normal kid, had a motorcycle, uh, going to school, had a beautiful girlfriend, and uh, we, we were uh, just normal. Anyway, so on the 25th of, of uh, May, I was at the altar. And I had been quite intimidated by my father's testimony. And so I'm at the altar, and I'm doing something that I really, really, really strongly urge you to never do. I was asking God for a testimony. That you, you're better off to ask God for patience than you are to ask Him for a testimony. Okay? Because usually a testimony only comes through a test. And that's what the story's about, right? So, I asked God, I said, please, please, please give me a testimony. Now, my history up till then was I was born third out of six children. My brother and my, uh, what would that be, four sisters all passed away before they were three and a half years old. Probably some type of blood problem. The oldest one died of the uh, polio outbreak in, 19, in the 50s. So I had survived that. When I was eight years old, I got into a dispute with a dog, and the dog took off the left side of my face, 57 stitches, three days in a coma, 10 days in the hospital, and reconstructive surgery. When I was 11 or 12, I came down with some type of a blood problem, and they thought it probably was connected back to my brother and sisters, and they said on a Wednesday morning, they said they took blood, and they said if Tim doesn't 
begin to change whatever the count they were counting. If you don't begin to change, we're going to have to start doing blood transfusions. They took me to church that night for midweek service. We got down to the altar. They anointed me, prayed over me. The next day I, on Friday, I went in and had my normal blood draw and everything was normal. So, here I am at 16 and I don't have anything to praise God about. Okay? I never said I was smart. Okay? So I'm, I'm praying, Lord, please give me a testimony. Then came the 26th, and I'm riding into town. I'm going to go and get the money out of the bank so I can buy a 1966 Chevy Impala two-door with a 327 two-speed automatic transmission. Now, if you don't know what that is, you're not breathing, okay? As I was going in, I got distracted, and I ran into the back of a car. Simple. I was only doing about 20 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour, bounced up off the car, landed underneath the motorcycle, wasn't really hurt too bad, had a nice little crease in my helmet, and uh, I start trying to get out from underneath the bike, and one of the people that was unloading a semi at what then was Wonderland uh, Department Store, it's now the theater, uh, he realized that the gas cap had come off of my bike, and it was dumping gas all over me in the street. And so he, he jumped down from his truck. He started running. I've got to meet the man since I wrote the book. And uh, he said, I got about halfway to you, which would have been about a 40-foot dash that he had to do to get to me. He said, I got about halfway there when the whole street went up in flames. And so here I am. I jump. I, that helped me get out from underneath the bike, by the way. Uh, I jump up and I start to run because I didn't think that I could, I could lay down and roll. on the. And I remember thinking, first I said, oh my God, I'm on fire. Now that was a prayer. That wasn't a statement. God knew I was on fire. So anyway, I, 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 I knew I had to lay down and roll, but I, I thought I've got to get to this side street. And this guy runs the rest of the way. Now this guy's 17. Okay, I'm 16. A 17-year-old kid that runs to somebody that's on fire. That is not a normal kid. You tell me that God did not place him there, I will take you to task on it. Anyway, I'm getting way too long. And uh, he says, lay down and roll. Uh, he screamed it and probably some other things. But anyway, he said, lay down and roll. And I said, which way? <laughs> I don't care. Just lay down and roll. Just lay down and roll. And he took, his, he took his shirt off, and he hit me. When he pulled his shirt back, he had his shirt collar and nothing else. Shirt was gone. And so he started just plucking clothes off of, off of me and trying to do whatever. They got the fire put out fairly quickly, and they took a, they took a breath, and it exploded again. It, it all caught on fire again. And that happened uh, another time. It actually caught on fire three times with me laying in the street. They got me to into the ambulance. They got me to the hospital. Now, again, this is 1972. This, you know, we had an airplane that was in Indianapolis, uh, out here, Browns, if you remember them. Uh, there was 
No airplanes available. God miraculously provided an airplane. My parents weren't supposed to be home from mushroom hunting till real late. They got home early. Everything, God just started to mesh things together. My parents came in and they explained what the injuries were. And I remember the doctor saying, Tim is burned on both legs, front and back, third degree. He's burned on both arms, front and back, third degree. He's burned on both hands, inside and out, third degree. His chest, his stomach, and his back, and his throat is all covered in third degree burns. 87% third degree burns on my body. Now you take the percentage of third degree burns, and you add that with the age, and then you subtract that from 100, that tells you what your percentage chances are of living. When I added mine up, it was 103. And so I had a negative 3% chance of living. So off to the burn unit we're in. We go to a burn unit. Let me tell you a little bit about the... That says zero. I'm in trouble. Uh, the, the, uh, the burn unit I'm in, I'm in is one of three in the world. There was the Antarctic burn unit, there was the, uh, the Texas Army-Navy burn unit, and there was one in London. That burn unit, which technically covered a third of the world, it had 11 beds in it, but there was one available that I could get into that burn unit. They brought me in, they began treatment, life went really good until about the 4th of July, and at the fourth of at over the Fourth of July weekend, they somehow didn't get my medicine in that they poured on my on my bandages every four or five hours. It seemed like constantly because it was horrible to pour it on there, and it was cold. And they somehow they didn't get it, so I was ready to start skin grafting. And then over that holiday, because I didn't have that, on the last day the nurse came in and she said, oh my Lord, what have they done to this boy? And I was almost dead. So that set me way back. Actually, two nurses left the burn unit, broke into the warehouse, stole my medicine, and brought it back to the burn unit and began to treat me. And they literally saved my life. Now, again, remember that giant? You know, we always got him nice and clean cut. But these, these guys, this is 1972. They, we're, we're on the news watching hippies uh, protest against Vietnam. And these were the guys that were in those, those things. They, they, to, they'd scare you to death. But they were miracle workers. Anyway, and so they, they literally saved my life. And there's, there's a million stories that is in here. Here's the next one. Just about this time of the year, I, I had had skin taken off of my abdomen three times. I had had skin taken off of my head three times. And they were going to do it, the skin donation site, they were going to take skin from my abdomen the fourth time. We had a routine. My parents would come in. Dad would read a scripture. They would pray with me. They would leave. I was first in the operating room so I could get out to get my breakfast. Uh, 
I mean, we got priorities, right? And I had seniority, so I had been there for four months. And so they, uh, they got ready to take me back. My parents had left. My, my, they had left the room. And uh, all of a sudden, I realized I was not going to live through this surgery. Now, I can't tell you exactly what that's like. There was no fear in it. But I knew I was not going to live through that surgery. And I caught this little nurse on the way, and I'm literally on the gurney going back to the operating room. And I caught this little nurse, and I said, Lily, pray for my family, will you? And she patted me, and she said, oh, you'll be all right, Tim. I said, I know I will. I said, but I'm not going to live through this surgery. I I said, I'm not really sure what's up, but I said, uh, pray for my family. The Holy Spirit prompted her and said, you know what, Lily? Yeah, you're to pray for her family, for his family, but I want you to do it now. I want you to go home now, and I want you to pray for Tim and his family. And you get on your knees, and you stay there. She got ready, and she left the burn unit, and the Lord said, you know what? You don't even have time to go home. She said, I, I, I want you to tarry here in the chapel. You tarry in prayer until he gets out of, that, out of this situation. At the same exact time that I was going back for surgery, the Holy Spirit swept down into this little town of Galeen over here where my girlfriend at the time, Debbie, and her mother lived. And the Holy Spirit called them to prayer. I don't know if you've had the Holy Spirit call you to prayer, but the Holy Spirit calls you to pray, you pray. And so they, they put down everything they were doing and they prayed. And they prayed for 36 hours straight. During that 36 hours, when I came out of the burn unit, when I came out of the operating room, and when I woke up in my room, I looked down and there was a male nurse on both sides of me with sutures and they were sewing up spots that were bleeding on my abdomen where they had taken skin because they had messed up my platelet count in my blood test and I had no platelets to stop me from bleeding. And so they would, they would, do, they would stitch for a little while, then they would take a bag of ice, literally just a bag of ice, and lay it across my abdomen and try to freeze that that blood from, try to stop that blood. They did that over and over, and they would sew, and they would do that, and they would give me some pain medicine, and they would sew, and they would do that, and back and forth and back and forth. And they, they didn't let my mom back into the room right away. They held my mom up, and uh, actually for a couple hours before they let her back in, and I believe they let her back in to say goodbye. And she said when she came through the doors of the burn unit, she said there was blood tracked down the aisle. And she said when I walked around the corner, she said the blood was running off of you onto your bed and off of your bed onto the floor and the nurses were tracking it down the hallway. That's where I was, 36 hours, 36 pints of blood or plasma, whatever. God God just worked. Every seventh unit of blood in 1972 had uh, hepatitis every seven. I had 36 in 36 hours. All of a sudden, God reached down into that hospital room and shut the valve off. 
they, they were amazed. All of a sudden, they stopped. I remember standing there or laying there, and they just stopped. Now, there had been, you know, different people come in and out, kept working, but they just stopped. At the same time, in Galene, the Lord gave Debbie and her mom a song. And Debbie's mom said, later, she said, I knew I was not going to have a song, and Tim did not survive that. And so she said, I asked the Lord to give me a scripture, and she just randomly opened her Bible, randomly opened her Bible, put her finger down on Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 6. And here, let me read it to you. Ezekiel 16, 6, And when I passed by thee, I saw thee polluted in thine own blood. I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. And I did. It, uh, it was probably the strongest miracle that happened in that. Now, I want to move on. Thank you. I... I want to move on, and, and I want to share some other things with you. I do have a book. and This is no advertisement, but I do have a book. If you want to hear the whole story, there are some great stories, and there. some of them are actually funny. Some of them are, most of them are not, but in the end, I will tell you it's good news I survive. Okay? Thank you. The thing is, I did survive, and we've been through things. I think I could say together, we've all been through things, right, that we say, I survived that, right? But it's left us scarred. By the time I got done, I was burned over 87% of my body. That was all scar tissue. About 65%, 70% of that had to be covered with skin, okay? Uh, I had other areas that they took skin from. So now that's scarred. Left my body almost 100% scarred, at least way over 90%. I was scarred, and I carried those as a real uh, curse. And as I'm, as, as I'm in that back room and... This guy is trying to shove me out of the way, and he's telling me that I, uh, that I didn't know what he was going through. At some point, now, to describe my, my body, which I did not put any pictures up, uh, my hands were black. My, this arm was black. This arm had, had a blue stripe that ran up here. This was kind of a normal. This was all real dark blue and black. My, my, my neck was black, and it was kind of a red tint to it. My chest was black and, and red. And by black, I mean the color of blood underneath the skin. That's the type of black I mean. And, of course, my legs were all the same way. So in, in, in that scene that we, we are looking at in that ambulance run, this guy kept shoving me, and finally I... I, I said over, I spoke to Rich. I said, Rich, show me your flashlight. Put your flashlight. And I put my hands up and I said, I do know 
what your brother's going through. I do know how to help your brother. I have been here. I have been burned. So get back. And finally, he backed off a little bit uh, for a couple seconds. But I couldn't always do that. I have to tell you, that too was a process. You see, my scars were a real curse. I'm mean, imagine a 17-year-old kid. That's what I was. I was 17 when I got out of the hospital. I'm six foot one inches tall. I am surrounded by football players and buff teenagers and, uh, you know, you know, you know the type I'm talking about. These muscle guys that's got, you know, four or five hairs on their chest and, and, you know, they're starting to to grow beards and and here I am, 110 pounds, frail. I can't stand up because of all the tight spots. Uh, hair, you might as well just give up on that. And and I I'm like I carry this curse around constantly with me. Because I'm so scarred. I mean, literally, I would walk by something, and if it was this sharp right here, I would walk by it, and it would take the skin right off my arm. I can't tell you how many times I'd go to open a screen door, and it would peel the skin off the back of my hand. It, it, was, just, it, it was just really tough, and, and I carried those uh, curses with me. I, I thought, nobody's ever going to love me, and praise the Lord, Debbie did, and... and she loved me, and just, it was really hard. Debbie and I were married. We had a couple kids. I'm, I'm not sure we had all three of them yet. I was attending a church. God had got my attention, and, and uh, I was attending a church. Again, I'm, I'm wanting to serve the Lord. Uh, I'm cursed with these scars. I'm really struggling, and the pastor calls me. We were building a campground, so I didn't generally go on Wednesday night. But he called and he said, you got to hear this story. you got to hear this guy's story. And I said, okay, what's, what's it about? And he says, 16-year-old kid got burned just like you, and you got to come hear this story. So I, I take some time off of work, and I go up and I listen to this guy's story. And the guy's story was that he was trying to light a fire in a trash barrel. Couldn't get the fire to go. It's a little bit damp outside. He's living in Florida at the time. And uh, so he got a can, and he poured gas in it. And he took that gas can, and he went and dumped it in that trash barrel. Now, what do you think happened? The whole thing exploded. Burned him all down the side of his face. The grass was wet, so it wouldn't put the fire out. It spread the fire, burned him all down the side of his face, all down the back of his head, down his arm, down his side, and he ends up burned a little over 40%, deep third-degree burns. Long story short, he's begging God to die. He don't want to be healed. He wants to die. He said, my salvation was sure. He was in the same denomination Debbie and I were in at the time. And he says, my salvation was sure. I just wanted to die. I did not want to live how I knew I would look. And the second time they took his bandages off, as they're taking his bandages off, people are getting excited. The nurse was from his church, and 
she starts to praise the Lord, and she gets a little bit more into worship the whole time, and he's saying, what's going on? The doctor is gibberishing in Indian, some kind of dialect, and as he's taking it off, and finally they get down to where the kid can see it, and the kid has no burns. There's nothing. He don't have any scars. He don't have any burns. He walked out of the hospital 48 hours later and went to a Christian rock concert in another state. Now, you know me. I'm a mature Christian 20-year-old kid. I'm like, well, praise the Lord. No, that's not what I said. I said, how in the world would you do that for him, Lord? What, do you hate me? My grandson says, what, am I chopped liver? You know, and, and I'm like, why, would, why did I even need to come? I mean, here I am, six different colors. Every time I'm out in the sun more than an hour, I get burned. I, I'm, I'm still frail. I, I'm like, what in the world? And so the pastor says, the pastor says at the end of the service, he says, hey, he says, the evangelist wants to meet you. I said, well, I don't want to meet him. I mean, I just, I hate to be just open, but I, I was like, I, I don't need to talk to you. And we got over there and we sat down at the pastor's table. And the guy sat across the table from me and, he, and I had put my arm on the table. And he says, can I, can I touch your scars support? I said, well, yeah. He said, does it hurt? I said, no. He, and he begins to touch my scars. And then he said something that changed my life still today. And he said, you are so lucky. Now, I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of lay him out. But he said, you are so lucky. And I said, how in the world can you say that? He said, let me tell you. He said, I travel all over sharing the testimony of God healing my burns, and nobody believes me. He, says, I don't, he said, I don't have a scar to show what God did. He said, God has signed your body with the signature of the Master. He says, you... When you speak to people, they cannot not believe what God has done in your life. Number one, you can't survive, because I told him the story, you couldn't have survived that on your own. Doctors and nurses are great, but this takes God. And he said, he said you are so fortunate, and it totally changed my life so that when I'm on the floor of a back room of a guy with laying there that has been burned severely with a French fire, and the, the brother says, you don't know what he's going through. I can put my scars up and I can say, yes, I do. I know exactly what he's going through. I know exactly what he's going to go through. And with the exception of God intervening, he is, I, I know exactly what's, what's going on. It totally changed my life, and I began a lifelong search for God's stories and how God has used scars. I mean, I would sit in a restaurant. It was nothing for me to sit in a restaurant and hear, until I lost most of my hearing, to hear people say, 
Uh, boy, I, I wonder what happened to that guy. I, I, I wonder what he's got that that skin is so bad. I, it, it was just, I mean, it wasn't really commonplace, but it was pretty well there. And then I began to realize as, as I got through that part of my life and I started to take to heart what this evangelist had said, and I began to use my scars. So it's, it's like you would have a car salesman come up and hand you a business card and say, and say, hey, I'm selling cars. I could walk up and I could say, boy, isn't God good? God's great. God answers prayer. And I got the scars to prove it. You want to hear the story? Well, whether they wanted to or not, I could share the story and I could share the scars and they could not doubt it. And over and over and over again, and I've done this as a chaplain with all of these men that are in prison, and I've said, we know God, and don't, don't curse your scars that you're going, what you've been through. And, I, and I've shared with that. And I began to look in the scripture of, this, of the, the people that are scarred. I mean, Genesis chapter 32 is a good example. Here's Jacob, okay? What does Jacob mean? Do you remember? Deceiver, right? Isn't that Jacob? And he... And so he wrestles with God, and he, he actually holds on to the angel, and he, he, he don't let him go. And finally, the angel dislocates his hip or whatever he did and left uh, Israel now. He changed his name to Israel and left him with a limp. Remember Pastor Dan saying he don't trust anybody without a limp, Okay. And so he left him with a limp. Now, can you imagine Israel walking into town and saying, hey, you know what? God changed my name without the limp. And they'd say, what? God changed my name. Yeah, I wrestled with God the other night, and, and, and he changed my name. And they would look at him and say, what were you drinking just before you went to bed? Or was that that pizza that you ate? No, he comes limping into town. And somebody says, what's up with the hip? Oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you what happened. And over and over and over again, he would tell that story. And I know he did because the children of Israel quit eating that part of chicken. Okay? So he had told it to enough people that he made a new activity or lack of activity. Okay? So I know that that's that he shared that with them over and over and again, and it was proven by his scars. Then let's skip ahead to the New Testament in John chapter 20. When Jesus comes into the room, now the room is locked down, the windows are closed, the guys are all huddling together because they're scared to death, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but if I've got the doors all locked and somebody just shows up, that's proof enough that's Jesus. Okay? Amen? I mean, but Jesus, Jesus didn't just stop there. He puts out his hands and he says, hey, look at my scars. Look at the scars across my forehead from the crown of thorns. Reach in here and touch my side where the spear went in. He says, I got the scars to prove where I've been. That is important, my friend, and that should change how you look at the scars in your life. 
And then when Thomas shows up, and, and, and the, the guys talk to Thomas, Thomas says, you know what, I know enough about what Jesus went through, I know it left scars. You do not, I mean, we've been there, right? We've seen something happen and say, oh boy, that's going to hurt. Huh? Or we look at it and say, man, that's going to leave a scar. You know, and Thomas, that's where Thomas was. And so, what does Jesus do? He steps into Thomas's world, and he holds out his hands. He says, hey, Thomas, come on. You should have believed without, but you know what? I kept these cigars so that you could see it, so that you could see the proof. You know, Jesus did not have to keep those scars. You understand that? Jesus had a refined body. He had a totally renewed body. He did not have to have those scars. But Jesus looked ahead in time when John the Revelator was going to be standing in the throne room and he was going to be saying, he was going to be weeping. It says, I wept and I wept and I wept because they could find nobody in heaven that was worthy to open the scroll. And he says, and in the middle of the throne, I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slain. My friends, those were the scars that Jesus was carrying, and he was standing in the throne room, and as far as I know, and I'm not making a theological uh, stand here, as far as I know, that's the only scars that will be in heaven. We will not take ours with us, but Jesus kept his, and he kept them for an important reason, and I want you to get this this morning, that he chose to because our enemy Satan, who keeps bringing these giants into our lives. I've got them. I could stand here for another half hour and tell you the giants in my life that I face right now. And he keeps bringing these worthless, uncircumcised dogs into our life. And Satan comes in and he says, did you see what Tim did? And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, I did but I got it covered. And he holds up his scars, and he says, I got it covered. Did you see where Tim, did you see Tim thought that? Yeah, I did. Did you see my forehead where I wore the crown of thorns? Did you see my hands? And you know what the truth is, my friend? Jesus did that before I ever took my first breath. He said, I love Tim so much, I will lay down my life now. And Tim is perfect right now. He's not even been born yet. My friends, when Satan comes in and starts accusing you and starts, starts bringing up all that stuff, Jesus is standing there in the throne room saying, I got it covered. I've got it covered. Caleb, come. King David, King David and King Saul both had scars. Both of them did. Saul had had a rough life. David was yet to have it, but David had them too. For King Saul, they paralyzed him. For King David, they energized him. Which one is God going to do for you? Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. 
Now go and be the church in the world. 